All right, our um, scripture reading this morning is found in John 20, verses 24 through 31. If you're using the Bible in the pew in front of you, it's on page 1137. While you're looking that up, I just want to call your attention to this little blue connect card. It should be there by the hymnals and pews, um, pews, the hymnals and Bibles in the pew. Um, but this just tells us a little bit about you, and if you feel like filling this out, we would love to have some information so that Neil could just send you a note this next week, and um, we're just so glad that you're here. All right, John 20, 24 through 31. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, well, it's great to be with you again on this Easter morning. And you're actually kind of picking up with us at the tail end of a super long uh, sermon series that we've been in from, uh, well, since the middle of December. And we started in the middle of December uh, a series called The Gospel because we felt like, man, there's a lot of confusion about what the gospel is. And that's a shame because uh, somehow through the years that term has come to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, and a lot of times, you know, it gets associated with uh, tracts or you know, street preachers or what, you know, whatever the case may be. When we think of the gospel, a lot of times we, we're not thinking of the same thing that the first Christians thought of when they used the word gospel and when they talked about sharing the gospel. And so we found out that if you go back and you look at what people said when they talked about the gospel, they were always talking about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. That was the gospel. And so what we've done is since the middle of December, we've talked about the arrival of Jesus. And, and then what he did is he began to announce the kingdom of God coming. And then this last chapter has been the gospel accomplishing. And we looked at Jesus' death last week. And this week we look, obviously, it's Easter, we've got to look at the resurrection, right? And so I'm excited about that. This is what it's all about. We've been saying through this series, is this still on? Um, I don't know what's happening, but sorry if I'm coming in and out. Um, we've been saying, Jesus died and rose again so that you can die and rise again. And that's not just in a future tense, but in a present tense as well. 
I don't know what to tell you. I can turn this off and we can just use this. I'll try and be stationary. Jesus died and rose again so that you can die and rise again. This gospel message, this life of an actual man who actually lived, died, and rose again, it has implications for you and for your life today and forever. And so there couldn't be anything more important. And every year when we come to Easter, I just feel the need to remind us that this is what it's all about. If there's no resurrection, we might as well go home. The apostles said as much. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, game over for us. We got nothing. We didn't sign up for just another religion, one of many in the world. We signed up because we believe that this man, this one who made such audacious claims to be the Son of God and then backed it up by dying and raising back from, from, to life. I mean, that is our claim and has always been our claim. And I feel like sometimes in the church we've made it a lot, about a lot of different stuff. And somehow Jesus stopped being the subject. And we see this because we see a younger generation that's walking away from their faith in droves. I've seen statistics that anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of people as they transition from high school years to adulthood walk away from their faith. Now there could be a dozens of reasons and as many reasons as there are people for that, right? As far as the details of why that sort of thing would happen. But I fear that part of it is because we stopped making the gospel about Jesus. And we stopped making what we do about Jesus. And we started making it about a lot of different things. And we started acting like, well, I'm going to list some good things. And some of what I'm going to say may even sound blasphemous at first. But hear me out. We started making it about the Bible. All right? And then they get to college and someone pokes some holes in what they thought they knew from Sunday school about the Bible. And suddenly their whole faith falls apart. And they walk away from Jesus. Did you know there were Christians before there was a Bible? <laughs> before anyone wrote down the story of Jesus, there were Christians. Because we're the Jesus people. And our faith is founded on the events of his life, death, and resurrection. And the witness accounts of that. Sometimes at church we make it about church stuff. Right? Worship, the music, what style of music, or, or we make it about the preaching, or we make it about, uh, you know, the parking lot, or we make it about whatever. Um, I've seen people make it about ice makers. You know, the list is endless, what, what churches make it about. And so sometimes kids grow up and they're like, I don't really care about all that stuff. And they walk away from their faith. We stop making it about Jesus. You can even make it about theology and be like, oh, this is how it is. And this is, you have to believe this whole set of beliefs and, and all this exact theology. And then later someone pokes some holes in that theology or causes them to question it a little bit. And they walk away from their faith because, you know, some question about, well, my pastor said that, uh, you know, God causes suffering because he likes people to suffer or something, you know, crazy stuff. And so then they leave the whole faith behind because of theology. The church made it about that. 
instead of making it about Jesus. Here's my thing. If people want to walk away from faith in Christ, that's their prerogative. Our God is a gentleman, right? And he doesn't force anyone into it. But he makes it freely available. And I, my thing is, if you're going to walk away from your faith in Christ, at least do it for the right reasons. If you're going to walk away from Jesus, walk away from Jesus. Don't walk away from something that really doesn't have to do with Jesus. I mean, if Jesus lived, oh, sorry, i got to stay put. If he lived, died, and resurrected, then okay, maybe someone punched some holes in the way you thought things worked. But if he lived, died, and resurrected, don't walk away from Jesus. Figure it out. And so today, we're just going to talk about the resurrection, and we're going to talk about faith and doubt, and, and my goal today is to, to give you something to stand on if you want to have faith in Jesus Christ. See, our faith has never been just a just-have-faith thing. Our faith was founded on events that real people experienced. And they had a real relationship with a real man named Jesus. And they saw and witnessed these things happen with their own eyes and ears and hands. And they shared these accounts. And they're remarkable accounts. And so, even from a historical perspective, there are a lot of good reasons to believe in Jesus. And so maybe I can encourage your faith today. And in the session that we're going to have after this, we're going to invite, usually we have uh, kind of our small group sessions that meet in different rooms around the church after this. We're going to invite everyone that wants to come to the fellowship hall today for kind of a group session where we're going to do a, sort of a ask anything. And we're going to just cover some questions. A lot of you have already submitted questions about uh, things that trip people up with, with their faith in God. And our youth pastor, Brett, and I are going to sit on the hot seats, if you will, and just try and answer some of those questions or begin to have a discussion about them. So I'm looking forward to doing that in a few minutes. But let's just talk about the resurrection today. And in particular, we're going to just begin um, with this passage we read a few minutes ago with a guy a lot of us can identify with, a disciple of Jesus named Thomas. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. See, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he began to appear to people. One of the most remarkable things is that he appeared to women first. I think he did that on purpose. Because then he knew they'd have to write it down. Even though they wouldn't want to. See, in that culture, women weren't considered viable witnesses, right? Uh, and, uh, and so if you were making stuff up, you know, if you were trying to make up some propaganda about, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, wink, wink, uh, then you wouldn't cast women as the primary witnesses in the account. So I think Jesus did that just to mess with them. But, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it works to our benefit because it helps us in our faith. But then he appeared to his disciples who were locked in a room, scared for their life. One guy wasn't there, Thomas. He gets a bad reputation as the doubter. Doubting Thomas, they call him. <laughs> it wasn't that he was a bad guy, though. I mean, really, a lot of us could identify with this guy. 
I mean, Thomas, when Jesus said, I'm going back to Jerusalem, as he was headed back towards the cross at that point, at the end of his earthly ministry. And the disciples were like, okay, last time we were there, they tried to stone you to death. And Jesus said, yeah, we're going. And, and Jesus said, oh, now, you know, me, I'm paraphrasing. But <laughs> Thomas says, well, let's go die with him. Same Thomas. He was willing to go die with Jesus. But in these moments, as all the rest of the twelve, of course Judas uh, had gone off the rails, but the other eleven, so ten plus Thomas, the other ten came to him and said, we saw Jesus. I mean, he knew these guys well. And he's like, can't do it. Unless I see with my own eyes. Touch with my own hands. He struggled to believe. And, and many of us can relate, if we're honest. I think there's some people who are, I call it a gift of the Holy Spirit, that they just have faith. And maybe they don't really struggle with doubt. They don't seem to. Most of us, sometimes something comes up makes us doubt a little bit, right? It'd be kind of weird if we didn't. I mean, Jesus, his closest disciples struggled with it. So, faith and doubt. It's a, it's a funny thing. I mean, even people that walked with Jesus, even people, even some of the people, they say that saw Jesus raised from the dead and still struggled with doubts about it. On the one hand, that blows your mind. That's another one of those pieces of information that gives a lot of credence to the gospel accounts. Because why would you write that? <laughs> if you were just trying to write some propaganda, right? Why would you say, and some of them still doubted. You know? Faith and doubt. We know how it works. I mean, there's probably some things that you have experienced in your life and sometimes... You even question yourself about whether you experienced what you think you experienced. <laughs> right? Things that we've, you know, maybe it's been 20 years and you're like, was that how that worked? You know, it's, doubt is one of those things that, that we all deal with on some level. And certainly when it comes to things like, I mean, resurrections don't happen every day, right? And that's kind of the point. I mean, if the disciples had claimed that Jesus did something that we'd all seen happen before, then we'd say, whoop de doo you know? But that's kind of the point, is no one's ever seen that happen before until some people saw Jesus do it. And so, yeah, sometimes that's hard to believe, because we've never seen anything like that. It's worth noting, though, that faith and doubt have nothing to do with whether something happened or not. Like, if you doubt it, it doesn't make it any less or more true. If Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead, whether you believe it or not. You know, if Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, <laughs> it doesn't matter which conspiracy theory you buy into, he walked on it, man. <laughs> you know, that, that, that your doubt and your faith doesn't change facts. What it affects is you and your life. 
It seems easier to believe something that you have personally experienced, but experience isn't necessary for something to be true. Thomas, where we can't relate to Thomas, is the fact that Jesus made a special visit just for him. He showed up in the flesh and he said to Thomas, go ahead, here I am. Hear me, touch me, look at me, check me out. You know, he'd tell his disciples, give me some fish, I'll eat it from you. I'm not a ghost. And Thomas then said, my Lord and my God. But for him, it took Jesus showing up in the flesh, saying, stop doubting and believe. The wonder of it is that since that day, thousands and millions have heard the testimony of men like Thomas, who said, this Jesus guy didn't just exist. He died and he rose again and he's your Lord and your God. Thousands, millions have stopped doubting and believed. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas had his aha moment. And it led him to believe. But you know, aha moments don't always lead people to believe. And Jesus had a lot to say about that too. In fact, when Jesus was still on earth and he was declaring who he was and he was going around and doing signs and wonders to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. People kept asking him for signs. And he's like, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> and, but they wanted like the sign, right? They wanted the sign above all signs. That, that when he did that thing, there'd just be no question left. And you just have to say, okay, you're the guy. And Jesus would shake his hand at him. Always ask him for a sign. One time he said, the only sign that will be given to this generation is the sign of Jonah. If you know the story of Jonah, uh, the guy's thrown overboard to save a boat full of people that were going down because of his sin. Uh, so he's thrown over and he's swallowed up by this giant fish and then three days later spewed up on dry land alive. So the sign of Jonah, Jesus thrown overboard onto a cross buried in the ground and three days later spewed back to life again. But even when he rose from the dead not everyone signed up. Jesus also told a story about this rich guy and this poor guy and they both died and the poor guy ended up let's say in heaven and the, and the rich guy ended up in hell and, and uh, it's this you know, crazy story where they're looking at each other and the poor guy, the rich guy is asking for some relief and he can't get any and, and then he says, well 
Father Abraham, would you send you know, Lazarus back from the dead, this poor guy back from the dead, and tell my family, you know, because surely if someone's back from the dead, they'll believe. And, and as the story goes, you know, Abraham says, no, even if someone came back from the dead, they won't necessarily believe. They've had Moses, they've had the prophets, they haven't believed anything I've done yet, and just because I send someone back from the dead isn't going to fix their heart problem. It's funny how faith and doubt work. Some people with almost nothing to stand on are able to have faith. And some people with everything to stand on can't seem to find faith. It's a personal thing for you. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John ends this way in his gospel. After he's shared all this and in that passage we read, he ends that passage by saying, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his, his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's the thing I want you to take away today. is that the gospel... The account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has been preserved for nigh on 2,000 years now. So that you and I could find life in Jesus by believing. Life, the kind of life that you were created for and meant for, is available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. It was Jesus himself that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that taught us how we were designed to truly live the best possible life. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to help you walk into new life today. And it's all possible because Jesus lived and died for our sins and rose from the dead. And all these things that we have written down for us in multiple accounts from various authors were preserved to this day so that you could find life by believing in Jesus. I want to give you just a few more thoughts to perhaps give you something more to stand on if you're looking for reasons to put your faith in Christ. To believe that truly he lived and died and rose from the dead. And these come from more of a historical perspective and I've been spending a lot of time learning over the last few years about the resurrection of Jesus and it's amazing that one subject you know, you can spend that much time learning and still realize how much there is left to learn. But oh, I want to share with you some accepted facts. These are, are facts that are well borne out by historians. Historians, like professional academia historians, are not renowned for their faith. <laughs> 
many of them are very skeptical. But here are things that the vast majority of, of serious historians accept as fact, that there was, in fact, a guy named Jesus of Nazareth who became famous throughout Israel as a teacher, a miracle worker, a political figure, etc. There was a, a real Jesus. There aren't very many people in the world that deny that. If they do, they probably haven't studied it very well. Fact number two, they accept that he was executed on a Roman cross while Pontius Pilate was governor of that region. They have good sources that indicate that it happened. Now there's some who might would say, uh, I've heard this one thrown around, maybe you have too. Uh, well, maybe Jesus didn't die all the way. Right? Uh, and then there's the, the Muslims that don't believe that he was executed on a cross, no matter what the historians say, because uh, in their religion he's a prophet, and prophets don't die on crosses, and so couldn't have been. Uh, but serious historians that look at the historical facts and the details agree he was executed on a Roman cross. And, and if you know what that entails and how often they executed people and how good they were at it, then you wouldn't wonder whether he really died all the way. He was beaten within an inch of his life and placed on that cross. And centurions and Roman soldiers who do that for a living, they know when somebody's dead or not. When they laid him in the tomb, he was dead. Had he not been, you think he would have been skipping around three days later? <laughs> Fact number three, they say he was buried in the tomb of a prominent citizen named Joseph of Arimathea. That's pretty specific and detailed. Now I have read one historian that disagrees with that. He says that no, people that were crucified weren't buried in individual tombs, they were buried in mass graves, which is true. The Romans would throw the bodies of criminals and such that they crucified into mass graves. That's why the Gospels go out of their way to say that a prominent citizen went to Pilate and asked that a special case be made for Jesus' body. And that was granted. One of the reasons that people believe this is true is that it seems unlikely that Christians, early Christians, would cast Joseph of Arimathea as a member of the Sanhedrin, the council that condemned Jesus to death, and whom they were enemies with in the early days, the very Sanhedrin that was out to kill the early Christians, it's unlikely that they would want to cast one of their enemies as a hero in their story. That's just one of the reasons that historians say, yeah, he was probably buried in that particular tomb. And then fact number four is where historians get more fuzzy. I say something historically significant happened shortly thereafter. Somehow or another, people believed that they were seeing the risen Jesus. The tomb apparently was empty. Uh, but they don't venture, most secular historians don't venture so far as to say that God raised him from the dead because they feel like that's out of the realm of a historian. Then you're into theology or whatever they say. But they don't offer very great explanations 
for how what happened next happened next. Because what happened next is remarkable. These guys who were scared witless for their lives suddenly come out and start proclaiming that Jesus is alive at the risk of their own necks. Right? Pretty soon the church is booming and expanding across, from Jerusalem all the way across the Roman Empire and in under 300 years topples paganism in Rome. That's unbelievable. Nothing like it has ever happened in the history of the world that we know of. And they have no explanation for why this messianic movement ended so differently than all the other would-be messiahs who were put to death. Because there were others. And what usually happens is people say, Oh, well that guy wasn't actually the messiah, it was his brother. Here he is. Alright, let's follow him now. Alright, that would be one option. Or option two would be, Oh, he's dead, let's go home. That's what happens when messiahs die. But somehow, when Jesus died... The whole storyline is way different. And people have trouble explaining why if they're not willing to say that Jesus was raised from the dead. Some say, well, maybe Jesus' disciples stole the body as an elaborate hoax. And apparently that was one of the rumors that was circled very early on. And the Gospels address it directly. I mean... Just think about it, too. How far would you be willing to carry that hoax? You're going to run off with the guy's body, a dead Messiah, and then go die for him? <laughs> Maybe someone would, but that many different people? All saying we saw him? Maybe Jesus' disciples saw a ghost. Or some kind of apparition, right? And again, the Gospels directly address that because that's what they would have been expecting too. If they saw Jesus after he had died, they would have been expecting it was a ghost. And that's why you've got accounts of Jesus saying, hand me something to eat. <laughs> Come on guys, let's share breakfast. Let's hang out, touch me. And I've even heard some people say it could have been some kind of like a psychological phenomena, you know, like group projection. They say that happens. Like people that are really distressed, maybe it's just like a severe grief, you know, maybe a family has gathered and the grief is just intense and they'll have like a strange experience that, uh, that they all seem to have that couldn't have actually happened and they say, well, you know, maybe something like that happened with Jesus, but there's problems with that too. For one, Jesus showed up in multiple settings with multiple groups of people. They say about 500 in different settings. So you're telling me they all had the same group projection. Um, that would be odd. Also, uh, maybe, you know, they say that, but, but then you would expect them to project the sorts of things they would expect or hope for, Right? And you could say, well, of course they'd love Jesus to be alive again. But it's the details that throw off that whole theory. Because no, uh, the Jews had a concept of resurrection. But it was something that would take place at the end. 
And all God's people would be resurrected and the kingdom established. Not something that the Messiah would do ahead of time, as like a down payment. So this was not part of their concept. And not only that, if they were going to envision Jesus raised from the dead, it would probably be like, well, when Lazarus was raised from the dead and he walked out of the tomb, same old Lazarus. But when they describe Jesus, it's different. It's like they can't deny that it's Jesus, and yet part of them wants to ask him, who are you? <laughs> He's just a little bit different. And sometimes they don't recognize him at first. And then suddenly it's undeniable who he is. And so it's this weird description that, that they wouldn't have had any kind of context for from their Jewish faith or their worldview. And so it seems strange that they would, one, make it up at all, or two, project it as a group, as having happened. So people continued to advance strange theories like that, but none seemed to hold water. Like the simple explanation that Jesus was raised from the dead. I say simple. It's not saying that it was easy or that it's easy to believe. But it fits the facts the best. Jesus was a real person in a real place and time. He said some remarkable things and did even more remarkable things. Suddenly, he was dead. And they hadn't seen it coming. And it shattered their world. They were hopeless. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And everything changed. And they began to tell everyone about it. And word spread and word passed. And in a culture where people didn't go around writing things down all the time, eventually people said, we've got to write this down, spread it around even more. And they began to write down accounts of the message, of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And they passed it around. And there were different people who wrote, their, wrote down their accounts that they had heard from the eyewitnesses. And these accounts were very early, while eyewitnesses were still around and could be questioned, etc. And so they put their faith, people, by the dozens, by the hundreds, by the thousands, put their faith in Jesus, and they found life. And that's been going on for a very long time. And if you could find it in your heart today to believe in Jesus, it's as though you're unlocking a door and the door swings open. That's what belief does. When we believe in Jesus, it's like a door stands open then to you. It couldn't have stood open to you without belief. Because if you hadn't believed that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead, then you wouldn't have put much faith in the way of life that he talked about or the power that would be available to you through faith in Christ. And so this door is now open to you. And you can walk into a new life. You can step into 
the life that you were meant for and created for. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you join me in believing that, let's walk into new life together. Next week, we actually end this really long series by talking about why Jesus said it was so important for him to go away and not stay. And it very much has to do with you and your life if you believe in Jesus today. So we'd certainly invite you back for that or listen online, whatever you need to do. But Jesus died and rose again so that you can die and rise again. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, thank you for this gospel. It is the power to save, to set free, to change lives, to change the world. We confess our sin, our waywardness, our self-destructive attitudes and behaviors, all of our brokenness, pain, shame, our selfishness, and so much more. Holy Spirit, help us believe and to find new life that's available to us in Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.